In a world of cranberry bogs and skyscrapers, we sometimes see a thought leader emerge. And today on our Thought Leader podcast, we're going to go to, oh, just outside of Boston. We're going to New England and we're going to talk through, well, we're going to talk about cranberries and junkyard radios and all sorts of very interesting things. This is the Thought Leader podcast. I'm Randy Baker. And I'm Dr. Kent. And I've got my waders on here. I'm ready to get into that water with our guest, Chuck Mahler. So let's go straight to uh, the interview with Chuck Mullen. Hi, Chuck. I'd like to welcome you to our podcast today. It's good to see you. Good to meet you. I'd love it if you could take just a couple of minutes and tell us a little about yourself. Sure, Randy. Well, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Sure. I, so I'm, I'm a founder and CEO of a company called MCG Partners. Uh, we're a leadership and talent optimization firm. We do a number of things around leadership effectiveness, uh, leadership alignment, and we do a number of things around organizational effectiveness and talent management, everything from culture to values to change management to employee engagement. So we're really about helping organizations and industries and companies of all sizes and business cycles you know, you know, be effective related to their business strategy and what their, their purpose and, and their business uh, objectives are. Okay, so that, that's really cool. That tells me what you do. I'd like to know about you. Sure. Where to start? I am, I'm very, very happily married to a wonderful wife named Andrea, and I have four uh, amazing kids, three daughters and a son. Uh, we have also three dogs, um, which keeps us very active in our house. Thankfully, we have a big property, so we can open up the door, let them run around with electric fence. Um, uh, we also grow cranberries. So we, we live here in southern Massachusetts where we have a number of cranberry farms. I, I married into a, cran- a, a farming family, and then my wife and I purchased our own farm several years ago, which my father-in-law manages and runs and farms, uh, all the farms. And uh, we're actually part of the Ocean Spray Cooperative. So Ocean Spray is, is a cooperative, and the growers slash farmers own the cooperative. So it's a really wonderful part of our family and life and uh, year. And uh, I'm also an author. I wrote a selling book last summer. That was published called The Rise of the Agile Leader. Uh, can you make the shift? So how would you compare sort of wading through the cranberry bog, uh, <laughs> finding the fruit, picking it, the whole process? How would you compare that to consulting, to business, to, in, in your case, kind of being at the head of a, a um, fairly large group of cats? <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, uh, there's something very uh, therapeutic about uh, at least harvest season. I, I, I can honestly say I'm not really a farmer. I grew up uh, in an apartment outside of New York City. You know, farming for me was finding the produce section and, you know, in a grocery store. So I've come a long way since those days, those childhood days. And I have a much better appreciation and understanding of the complexities and the challenges of farming. You've probably heard this expression, farming is really a way of life. Um, it's not a job. Uh, and that's most farmers, and no matter what their crops maybe have that mindset, it's really a way of life for them. But what I would find about, about cranberry farms in particular and growing cranberries is during the harvest season, which is typically, at least in New England and the United States, begins usually end of September or runs through probably the end of October. You know, getting out there in, in a cranberry 
bog uh, when the fruit have been picked from their vines and floating there and you're, and you're, and you're getting ready to get the cranberries out into trucks. It's just a very therapeutic process, the whole notion of picking cranberries. And uh, I think if there's any reflection I would have, and I'm, I'm also an executive coach, I probably should have mentioned that I actually coach leaders and leadership teams as well and do some advisory work uh, in, in that space as well. I always feel it's really important to find those outlets in your life, whether it's, in my case, maybe a little bit unique, picking cranberries, but whether it's uh, meditation, whether it's uh, exercise, hobbies, travel, time for yourself, time with your family, you know, whatever those hobbies and interests are, it's really important to, to do that. And, and I think especially the last year and a half, clearly with COVID and the impact that's had on society and, and people who work, um, you know, finding time to decompress and manage that, that stress and pressure that we've been dealing with. You know, it's, it's important for us to manage our, our, our whole self, right? And I'm not a mental health expert, but what I was really trying to allude to is, you know, cranberries for me is very therapeutic. And even though it's kind of unique, it is important for us to find venues and avenues to, to decompress and manage our stress and, and, and pressure and find time for ourselves that allows us to really you know, manage the, the impact that we have when we're dealing with, a, with our virtual world or a hybrid world or even an office world, depending on what your work life happens to be. So when I think of the C-suite these days, Chuck, there's been a great deal of challenges faced by the C-suites of corporations. COVID has caused them to rethink how their business operates, rethink how their consumers relate to them, and all sorts of interesting challenges. And you talk about agile leadership. Agility is obviously a great trait if I think of agility dogs, they jump hurdles, run on planks and climb up teeter-totters and all sorts of fun things. When you talk about agility and leadership and relate that to the C-suite, what are you trying to actually say? That's, that's, a, that's a great question and it's a very multi-layered, I think, response in a lot of ways. But to you know, start at least here, I, I would say that, that leaders really have to be sort of mindful about the work environments they're creating and how they support those work environments. Our work environments now are very complex because of not only COVID, but because of especially the United States, what's happened around our society and, and this whole notion of creating a... a, a uh, an inclusive and diverse work environment. You add that, you add the pressures of the marketplace and the economy and the competition that consumers want something new and different every number of months, not every number of years. Uh, the access to information, the access to products and services 24-7. We just live in this very intensive, fast-moving, uh, very change environment. And then now with you know these new new aspects of society like COVID and, and others, um, it's had a real major impact to not just people and, and families, but also to organizations and, and, uh, and leaders. And so it's, more, it's harder than ever to be a leader. And the corporate C-suite really needs to be thinking about what am I doing to enhance our culture, to maintain our culture, or change our culture, to ensure we have the right work environment that supports the needs uh, of our employees. And it's more complex than ever. And there's many, many ways of doing that. So if we look forward in our, uh, to our crystal ball, look into it, gaze into it, spend some moments thinking, what do you think leadership is going to look like in five years, maybe even 10 years into the future? Is it going to be collaborative? Is it going to be decision makers? Are we going to revert back to 
uh, the leadership styles of the 70s and 80s? What's the experiment that's happening now and where is it going? Yeah, a very fair question. I, I think the leadership of the 70s, 80s, at least the those of us were were working in, in those decades or familiar with those decades know that it was a very autocratic, very hierarchical structure. And I think those days are far behind it, even though there still are some companies and, and leader, leaders that are left that are holding on to that or still feel that's the best way to, to run an organization. But going back to what, to what I was saying earlier, that the, the, the workforce is more complicated than ever. And I, and I think the you know, this whole agile leader, and, and the reason we created the agile leader, and let me answer it this way, I do think agile leader is still going to be the future. And the reason we created this model, we, we asked, I asked our, my team, I said, what, what is the future of leadership? Uh, about three years ago, I asked this question. And we interviewed CEOs, we, we interviewed clients, hundreds of clients, we looked at research in the marketplace and best practices. And we came up with this model that we're referring to as agile leadership. And agile meaning the verb, not necessarily the methodology, even though it fits the agile methodology very nicely. And it is a highly collaborative, it's a highly empowered teams, uh, diverse teams, self-managed team structure. Why? Because teams need to be, need to be faster, they need to be more innovative, uh, they need to be more decisive. But you see teams now, not just because of COVID, but we're moving toward a, a virtual workforce to begin with. And so the traditional structure of decision-making, the traditional structure of information coming from top down just doesn't work anymore. The world's moving too fast. Decisions have to be made. The cycles of innovation have to be faster than ever. The, the aspect of new products, new services, new ways of solving problems or addressing customer needs has to be faster. So, so organizations have to be more nimble. Uh, organizations have to be able to rely on teams and their decision-making and leveraging technology knowing that you've got talent now spread not only across the United States, but spread across, spread across really the world to help, you know, address, you know, your business needs and your customers. So, you know, technology will continue to advance. Teams and how they operate will continue to evolve. The leveraging of technology in terms of teams and how they make decisions and how they communicate, how they work together will continue to evolve. So I, I really think that, you know, we're, we're really at the early stages of this sort of agile teams, agile leadership capability and, and creating an environment that allows people to feel like they can challenge, they can fail, they can make mistakes. You know, one of the challenges I see with so many CEOs today, Randy, is that they want innovation, they want new, they want to be competitive, they want to survive, but but if there's failure, you know, in their organization, there typically is a punitive response. And and if you want to destroy innovation, if you want to destroy people's ability to challenge the status quo or ask the question why, you have to create an environment where people feel safe, uh, that it's okay to fail. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to challenge. Why are we doing this this way? You know, challenging the status quo. So I, I think, I think we're, you know, we're, we're really in the early stages of what I think this new leadership is going to look like uh, in the next three to five years. So let me dive in here because I think if, if Randy jumps in, he'll, he'll continue to take the discussion in a wonderful direction towards thought leadership. I want to distract us back <laughs> the other direction towards Chuck. So I'm curious about underneath all of that, underneath the process, underneath the cerebral concepts, but also the, the really, you know, inspired vision. What do you think the magical, I don't know, intuitive nature or, um, you know, strange spider skill that you have allows you to kind of understand a team, understand individuals, understand folks you're coaching. What makes you different than all the other, 
you know, humans out there? What is it that you do? My, my, my superpower, huh, Kent? That's, that's a good, I like that. That's good. Uh, I, I don't know. That's a really, that's a good question. If I have, if I took a second here to reflect and what makes me unique and different, I think there's a couple of things, I guess. One, I guess is maybe, you know, my background and, and what I've done in my career. I've built several businesses in the consulting sector, in the talent management space, leadership development space. I've, I've worn many, many different hats. I've been involved in successes. I've been involved in, in some, not so many successes. I don't even want, if I want to call them failures, but you know, where, where things haven't gone the way we wanted to. Uh, I've been involved in too many economic downturns that I want to even uh, mention. So I, I've seen, you know, a lot of those experiences. I've been through those experiences. I've been through the startup. I've been with big companies. I actually was with a global startup, uh, probably the only one ever uh, uh, that was in a management consulting firm. Um, I've seen, I've been involved in mergers and acquisitions and restructures and downsizing. So, so I'm interested I'm interested in kind of taking that same thing and saying, let's, let's Huckleberry Finn this a okay. little bit. Let's say, let's say, uh, someone's eulogizing you and they're like, Chuck, he, he did a lot of mergers, mergers and acquisitions. <laughs> he had some serious chops. He, no, but like, what would they, what would they say? Oh, I mean, that's what, fair. Like, what is that's it about fair. you that makes yeah. you different? Uh, yeah. Boy, that's a really hard one to answer. I think, um, I, I, boy, I haven't, I don't think I've ever been asked that question, which is, that's pretty good. Uh, Kent, uh, I, I, well, I mean, there's the cranberry yeah. thing. The cranberry thing is definitely different. Sure. There's no doubt, right? Uh, I, I'm a very, I'm a, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I think it's a combination of so many things. I, I can't say that one thing itself will stand out. I think I'm a very passionate person. I think I'm very intuitive. I, I think be, I, I really am able to break down to the essence or the root causes of what maybe are the, the needs or the problem or the opportunity, whether it's a business problem, whether it's strategic, whether it's organizational, whether it's cultural, or whether it's about you as a leader. Uh, so I think I'm very good about that. I'm, I'm, I'm also, I think I create an environment where people feel very comfortable to be very open with me because at the end of the day, it, it, the more open a person's going to be with anyone that they work with, whether it's coaching or advising type of work, the more effective, you know, we can be in our work. So I think I'm good at creating an environment where people feel very, very comfortable and they trust that I'm there to help them be successful. I, and I truly, I do this not just because it's a profession. I do this Going back to, I guess, my form, farmer uh, metaphor earlier analogy, I really want to make a difference. I, I really want to help people in their organizations be successful. I think I bring that to every experience I approach. Um, I, and I just, have, I think I'm just very good at really focusing on the key things that are going to really help that person or organization get to that next level of success or solve that problem. I have a sort of intuitive aspect to that. I don't think that's going to be something that's going to be talked about uh, one day when I do pass, but uh, that's the best I can do right now. I haven't, I've never been asked that question. I probably have to spend a little more time thinking about that, but I'm also a lifelong learner. I, I, I you know, I, I'm at a stage in my life where, you know, a lot of people can simply say, you know, I'm the expert and, you know, talk to me. And I, I actually feel the exact opposite. I feel that uh, I'm learning most of the time and I'm able to take that learning and hopefully add a different lens and, and some new perspective. Yes, yeah, some of my experiences and expertise, but I think learning is so critical uh, no matter where you are in life and what your role is and what you do for a living. So, uh, Chuck, I'd like to take you back, I don't know, 20, 30 years, back to when you were about 10 years of age. And, you know, when I was 10, everybody used to ask me what I was going to be when I grew up. And I could not ever have imagined that I'd be 
saying, I want to help leaders become more agile. I want to write a book on agile leadership. How did you answer that when you were 10 and what changed to bring you to where you are today? Boy, uh, when I was 10 years old, what did I want to do? I think I I was definitely a person at 10 that wanted, I was always curious. I have a very curious nature. And that maybe is another one of my qualities is I'm very curious to learn. I'm very curious to understand. I'm very, I've always been very curious to try to solve a problem, whether it's, I remember at maybe it was 12, I, I took apart an old, old radio. You know, we had a pretty humble upbringing. So electronics were not easily accessible to us. And somehow I think it was, it was in the junk, uh, yard and I took an old radio and I basically try to take it apart and try to put it together and and you know, had a little help in doing that. So I've always had that kind of let me let me solve something kind of personality. I don't, I don't think I ever I wasn't one of those kids that said I want to be an astronaut or I wanted to be a politician or or an athlete. I, I think I was just really trying to figure out what happiness was for me at that stage of my life. Uh, it may sound so sort of philosophical, but I really, because of what was going on in my life at that time, I, I think that was more my focus. But to your point, I never in a million years would have thought about if I had forecast my future that I'd be doing this type of work or, or writing a book. Uh, that was, I mean, honestly, back in 99, if you asked me that question or asked anyone around me, they probably would have laughed. Um, I was a very different type of leader back then. Yeah. Okay. So back in 99, you were a different type of leader. That's now I'm getting interested in, in who you really are because what sort of leader were you in '99? Um, in '99, I was. Are we talking like Gordon Gecko no, or something? No, that no, is this, good. this makes me nervous. No, no, <laughs> yeah. no, that's that's yeah, yeah, a different decade, but yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. No, I was definitely one of these no nonsense, hard charging. I wanted to, to win, I wanted to conquer, I wanted to be successful. You know, I, I was sort of a no-nonsense, headstrong, kind of alpha, 100 miles an hour, very intense type of leader. And um, I'll tell you the story. Uh, my, my CEO, I was running the largest global practice at the time, very successful financially in terms of our size and our, our profitability. And we were doing very well. We were growing uh, quickly. And uh, my CEO, who was also, by the way, a great mentor, I was, that doesn't always happen together. He happened to be a great mentor. Uh, pull me in and said, Chuck, have you ever had a 360 assessment? And for your audience, if they're not familiar with what that is, it's basically a tool. It's an online survey. It could be done verbally as well, where people that you work with, peers, subordinates, other stakeholders, your boss, fill out this questionnaire, essentially assessing you, in this case, me as a leader. And uh, so I got my report, and it's a combination of ratings as well as uh, comments. And uh, I was pretty confident, and I would say probably cocky as well, at that stage of my life and career, you know, the feedback was shocking. I, I, I got some very positive feedback, but those are some really hard, uh, razor-like feedback in there that I was really taken aback by. It, it was really hard to read. It was hard to internalize. I, I was, I think, very much in denial, I, and, and it was painful. It was very hard. So, of course, uh, a few days later, my CEO wanted to get together and talk about it and review it, and, uh, you know, I'm I'm very mature and I'm being very facetious. Reaction was, well, screw everybody. Look all my look all my successes. Who cares what they say? And of course, some of that was just being in pain and, and just kind of lashing out out of anger and frustration. Because, you know, I was again, I was I think I was overly confident, as I mentioned a second ago. And he just looked at me, laughed a little bit. So like I knew you were gonna kind of say that, but 
you know, he said, you have, a, you have to make a decision in your career, in your life, Chuck. He said, you're, you're smart, you're hardworking, you get results, you know how to build businesses, you know how to build together, build, build good teams. You care about people, but you get the management part of your job. You don't really get the leadership part of your job. And he wanted to explain what he meant by that. And essentially, just to provide that insight, you have to understand what makes people tick. You have to understand what, what, you know, what inspires them, what motivates them. You have to create an environment where people are excited to be here and feel good about you and, and your interest in them, interest in their success and their careers and their development. Let's get together again in a couple of days and, you know, let's think about what you want to do. And you know, I had to really, you know, ask that question, you know, do, do I really want to understand what this is and, and stop being in denial? And, and that's why I got over myself. And, uh, you know, I went back to him in a few days later and said, no, I, 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 I think you're right. And that the feedback's reflective of that. And um, it really became a very transformational stage in my life and my career because I really started to learn and I never had an executive coach, but I started taking executive programs, leadership programs. I started understanding the behavioral sciences in terms of who people are, especially people who are very different than I am. And I really just tried and I started learning, uh, which I've never stopped learning since, you know, the impact we have on other people, especially people that are similar or different than who we are. And the opportunity of how to modify our behavior to be successful, because it's not about changing who we are. We are who we are. That's never going to change, but it's the opportunity to create greater self-awareness of the impact we have on other people. And also the abil our ability to bring out the best in others. And it's really a major shift because, you know, most of your career, probably up to middle management, you're really focused on your success. And as you start going through the early stages of leadership and even mid-management, a shift has to happen. It's no longer about you. It's about your people. And if you help your people be successful, you will be successful. So it just became a very transformational period of my, of my life and really had a huge impact on me and not just professionally, but also personally. To kind of redirect a little bit and say, all right, let's look at that story. You have a remarkable story. Three dogs, four kids, a cranberry bog, a long career that has this great arc to it uh, from, you know, pulling apart the guts of a radio from a junkyard to pulling apart the guts of a team and figuring out how to make all the parts work together so that um, you can actually get a little bit of signal out of it, right? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a very lucky person. I'm a very fortunate person. I, I get to do work that I, I get excited uh, to do every day. You know, we have cranberry farms. Most importantly, I have four amazing, you know, children, you know, and uh, a wife and, and I get to do what I like to do. So it's, it's, I've been very fortunate. And if you were going to leave kind of a, a note on the pedestal uh, for this, for, I guess, the Huckleberry Finn situation again, for somebody to read uh, about you, what would you want that to kind of say? Um, just kind of thinking back to that and this whole discussion. I mean, you know, he, he, he loved cranberries, loved his kids, loved his wife, uh, loved his teams. Great. All that stuff is good. What else do you have left to accomplish that could kind of go on to that note? Well, I, I think there's always an opportunity to make a difference. And I think if, you, if you're willing to work hard, if you're willing to learn, if you're willing to, to, to build up your, your knowledge, your expertise, and, and, and work on your craft, wherever that may be, and ultimately, it's about what your purpose is. You know, your purpose is a, is a person, your purpose is as a profession. Uh, I think and if, you, if you focus on that, and that may mean reinventing yourself. I mean, I, this is, I started this company 14 years ago, 
but uh, you know, I've, I've had several careers. I've been fortunate enough to have several different careers in this industry. And uh, so, and including becoming an executive coach and starting this firm 14 years ago. So I, I think it's, it's possible for any of us. It depends really what your purpose is, what your passion is, what you're willing to commit to, and anything's possible. And it really comes down to what you want to do. So Chuck, you've had an amazing career. You, you've done some amazing things. Talking with you, we've heard a couple of stories. We've heard the Junkyard Radio story. We've heard the 360 Review story. There's a lot of stories that somebody over their career has built up. Are you one of these guys that believes that storytelling is a, is a major attribute of getting your point across to somebody else? So do you use storytelling when you're in your coaching, for instance? Yeah, I, I, I think it is important because I think it's a way to get people to see you being authentic and opening up and being vulnerable and, and being humble and realizing that uh, not every career and every path to success has, is, all, is all up. There are many moments in life, personally and professionally, where there have been challenges or heartache or learning moments. And I think when you tell stories, whether it's about yourself uh, your mentors, people that have inspired you, the challenges you've had in your life, and then there's a whole there's a whole concept around authentic leadership that we spend a lot of time. And, and I think as a as a professional, as a coach, as a CEO, being authentic and being open with people, it creates a level of connection. Because at the end of the day, it's all about trust. It's all about openness. And if you can if you can build a foundation of trusting and 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 connect with people, it just opens up so many doors where people want to share that experience. And it's not easy for some people. I'm, I'm by nature, not an extrovert. I'm more reserved. So I, I don't open up very easily, but I've learned to become very comfortable in sharing the experience that really had a major impact in my life. Some of them be very positive, some of them not being positive. And I think sharing that and telling stories is a powerful way of connecting with people and connecting with an audience. So before we, before we close, what is the story that you would love your grandchildren to pass on to your great-grandchildren about you? Boy, that, now we're going to go another layer of potential uh, uh, deepness that we haven't got into, but just for the sake of time, I, I think it's probably about the story of, of you know, how as a first-generation American, really my mother and, and how she raised myself, my two younger sisters, and how she influenced me and, and the foundation she set as a person in terms of values and, and purpose and importance of of making a difference and how that really evolved into what I did, did as a profession and how I, you know, kept my, myself focused on my family and my community as well as, you know, my profession. And the, and not only, not only our clients, but the people that work for us, most of the people that work for us have worked for us for, for many years uh, since I started the firm. So I think, I think if there's anything I want my grandchildren to hear is, is how I've been able to hopefully balance that and try to live a life that, that has meaning. So values, family, community, and commitment, all great things to leave as your legacy. So who would you like to connect with today and how can they touch base with you? Well, thank you for that, Randy. Um, if anybody wants to reach out to me and connect, they can reach me through my email address, which is uh, chuck, uh, C-H-U-C-K dot molar, M-O-L-L-O-R at M cgpartners.com and you can always find us uh, at our website mcgpartners.com or my own website which is uh, chuckmoller.com m-o-l-l-o-r 
So the last thing I have to I have to dive in here with a really a doozy of a question. Will you try to describe the taste of a cranberry to us? <laughs> uh, boy, uh, well, there's raw cranberry, right? Which most people have not experienced unless you go to a grocery store and buy a package, which you can in the produce section of what we call fresh cranberries. I'm referring to as raw because they're fresh. Uh, it's really a combination of sort of sweetness and some bitterness. Uh, a cranberry, as far as the fruit's concerned, has the least amount of sugar in the, in the fruit itself. So if you like that combination of sort of sweet and bitterness, that's what a, a fresh cranberry tastes like, which is why you, you see cranberries usually blended with other juices or mixed with other, other drinks. But um, I actually, and, and my children as well, my wife and I, we actually like fresh cranberries, uh, especially during the holidays, because after harvest season, we have a lot of fresh cranberries around the house. So thank you so much for talking to us. Now everybody's going to go out and see if they can find a fresh cranberry or, you know, go, go tug a cranberry farmer on the, on the sleeve as they're harvesting uh, out there in Massachusetts. <laughs> thank you for chatting with us. No, I appreciate that. Thanks, Kent. Uh, great questions. Questions I'll be thinking about uh, after this and appreciate uh, Randy as well. Your questions really, very, uh, this has been a very enjoyable conversation and thought provoking for me as well. Thank you for that. Well, thank you, Chuck. It was a pleasure having you on the show today. You're such an exciting and interesting guest that we actually overran our time. And that was just fine. So I hope our listeners stay right to the end because it was right at the end we found out what a cranberry tastes like. That's right. And if you're listening to this, you did stay till the end because you're listening to this. And we appreciate that. Uh, and if you are listening to this because you stayed till the end and are listening to this, maybe you want to spend a little more time with us and go visit thoughtpartnergroup.com and click on the assessment button and spend about a minute on that and then uh, we'll actually put some eyeballs on that and get back to you and if you like all the things that chuck moller has said today and if you like all the comments that dr kent made that didn't make any sense and if you liked all the questions that i asked that were really fantastic then maybe you'd like to subscribe to catch future episodes of the thought leader podcast yeah, Randy's working on the title uh, of the podcast. That's uh, after such a strenuous interview, it, it it takes a little bit of brain brain power. You know what, Randy? You should be drinking more cranberry juice. And all our listeners, if you enjoy cranberry juice, you have to buy Ocean Spray. Here's a plug for Ocean Spray because, well, Chuck Muller. You might just get one of their cranberries. Pretty cool. Oh, Pretty cool. and sweet and sour in a cranberry. Talking about sweet and sour, let's um, hopefully talk with you guys in the next episode. I'm sweet, he's sour. We'll see you the next time. Bye.